Welcome to High Noon, where we talk about controversial subjects with interesting people. And I'm so glad to finally have on a good friend of mine, Kelsey Bolar. She's a colleague of mine at IWF, where she is um, a senior policy analyst, uh, where she has written for virtually every outlet you might have thought about, including uh, Fox News, Washington Examiner, The Daily Signal, The Federalist, um, USA Today, National Review, if I've already said that one, I think, <laughs> but all kinds of places. But you've also seen her on Fox News, on Fox Business, um, all kinds of, of TV programs as well. Um, and most recently, and the reason that I wanted to have her on this week, um, you might have seen one of her, her amazing documentarian style videos. Um, she's, she's done a series called Identity Crisis for us over at IWF, um, where she's interviewed detransitioners, um, also their, their parents oftentimes. So she's interviewed mothers, some of whom have lost custody of their kids over this um, gender ideology issue, some of which who have, whom have just struggled um, with their children over this. Um, so she has really done a, a, she's doing the reporting that I think is, is so missing um, today, really doing a deep dive into, you know, the actual personal stories and how these, these ideologies interact and these institutions interact with real families, real kids, real people. So um, Kelsey, welcome to High Noon. I'm, I'm so glad to, to have you back here. Yeah, I'm honored. This is actually my first appearance on your podcast that I love. So thank you for having me. Yeah, Kelsey and I, the reason I said back is Kelsey and I also used to share like six other overlapping um, institutional <laughs> titles. We, we were both at the Federalist at the same time. Yeah. Um, we wrote a newsletter called Bright at the same time. Um, and then she worked with my husband over at the Heritage Foundation Daily Signal uh, for, for a long time. So Kelsey and I. Kelsey and I have been interacting for quite some time. <laughs> yeah. Um, but but these this documentary series is, is really um, a remarkable achievement on, on your behalf. And actually, I'd like to kick it off by um, maybe asking you to talk through a couple of the stories. Let me start out um, with Jeanette. Um, Jeanette is a mother who actually, through a family court, um, she, she's a divorced mom. Um, and she's actually lost the ability to speak uh, to her daughter, except I think through like letters um, that she can send through Postal the post mail. Um, mm-hmm. So, so could you tell us a little bit about what happened to Jeanette and, and sort of where she turned to for help when um, her daughter was going through as, as you've titled this series, an identity crisis? Absolutely. Jean- Jeanette is one of the more extreme cases of uh, what I guess are the variety of repercussions of this gender ideology movement. Uh, This movement is branded in tolerance and compassion. And in the case of Jeanette Cooper, it actually physically separated a mother from her child, a mother who loves her daughter to no ends. Uh, The family courts essentially said, because you are not quote unquote, affirming your daughter's identity, affirming the lie that your daughter is a boy, Uh, You are no longer safe to be around her and you cannot see her. You cannot call her. You cannot speak with her. The only way you can communicate with her is by postal mail. Uh, Jeanette's daughter was only 12 years old. Um, Jeanette, when when this all began, it's been going on for over three years now. Uh, Jeanette previously, after getting divorced, had custody of her daughter six nights, seven days a week. So prior to this, courts clearly had no concerns about Jeanette's ability to parent uh, her child. 
Uh, they shared a very close and loving relationship. You can see that through pictures uh, that we show in the documentary going back uh, from her daughter's childhood. But when her daughter suddenly declared that she was a boy, uh, she told her mother uh, that she wanted to stay at her father and new stepmother's house uh, and that she felt, quote unquote, unsafe around her mother. And this is what we're seeing, this movement enable the weaponization of terms such as unsafe, which previously had deep consequential meanings, uh, you know, certainly in family court, um, anything involving children, if a child claims he or she is unsafe, a court has a duty to investigate that claim. That's exactly what the court did. And initially, as hard as it was for Jeanette, she supported that investigation. She understood that, yes, when any child claims he or she is unsafe, the court has a duty to investigate. Uh, that was a seven-month investigation, brutally hard for Jeanette, very invasive. Uh, uh, they investigated both Jeanette and her ex-husband, and I was able to review the final parenting agreement, and it cited no evidence of abuse or neglect, no evidence of Jeanette being an unsafe parent. All it cited was Jeanette's inability to understand her daughter's gender identity. So essentially, she has been blocked from communicating with her daughter physically separated, emotionally separated. It is devastating. And I can tell you as a mom of little ones, I can I, I cannot fathom what Jeanette has been through. I'm going to play a little bit of um, a, a trailer of your um, conversation and, and dive into Jeanette's story. Um, for those of you, this might be a good time to point out that, in fact, this show is available as a video on YouTube. But um, even for those of you on audio, you should be able to, to hear the the audio of, of um, a trailer of one of the documentaries that Kelsey has uh, put together. My daughter's name is Sophia. She's amazing. On July 22nd, 2019, she went to her dad's house and she never came back. I later found out that she had told her stepmom and her dad that she was trans and she didn't want to live with me anymore. She felt unsafe. In no way should family court separate children from their biological parents without any evidence of abuse or neglect. So there again in this trailer, we hear the reference to abuse and neglect. And I think um, legally like, we just submitted some title nine comments and, and a word that goes along with this is harm, right? The legal definition of harm um, in, in terms of, of a parent, you know, and, and I think everyone acknowledges that there, there, you know, child abuse laws exist for a reason. CPS exists for a reason. There is such a thing obviously as, as, as a parent crossing a line and going too far and abusing your child. But the problem is this definition of harm has now expanded and become ruthlessly ideological. Um, and I think that just speaks to, um, the, the way that we talk about the, the, the sort of trump card that is always played in this discussion over gender transition of minors, which is suicide. 
right? Uh, that is that is the trump card that is always played and said, well, uh, you don't want your kid to commit suicide, do you? Or in the case of the family courts, you know, you don't want to risk the kid committing suicide because the mother doesn't quote unquote affirm the male identity of her daughter, which is a nonsense sentence. Um, can you talk to us a little bit about how that definition of harm, either in this case or, or in other, um, you know, either detransitioners or, or moms that you've talked to, how that word harm um, and its definition or, or the word abuse and its definition has really like um, sort of in, inserted itself into families that under every definition until 30 seconds ago would have been considered loving families? Yeah, it's almost unfathomable to comprehend how far, I guess, this slippery slope has gone. Uh, Conservatives are often um, branded as fear mongers. If we talk about the slippery slope, well, you know, if you start manipulating the terms, changing the definitions of women, of harm, um, this is where it will lead. And sadly, this is the natural conclusion. Uh, if, if, If all these institutions, the courts, um, our governments, from local governments all the way up to the federal government, um, are willing to change these basic definitions of, of what harm means and, and what biological sex means. Of course, a mother is going to easily be separated from the daughter she loves. And in this case, um, basically, <laughs> the, she was told, Jeanette the mother was told, uh, in order to see your daughter again, have a relationship with her, you have to attend um, certain therapy sessions, certain group uh, sessions at the local gender identity clinic. And despite her beliefs on this issue, she's been willing to do that. She is willing to do anything to get her daughter back. But it almost seems like nothing is good enough for her. And what's sad is it, it appears the courts don't even understand um, what they're asking her to do. They, they would send her to a certain therapist, for example. They named that therapist. You can see it in the court documents. That therapist wait list was full. Uh, some therapists have said, well, I'm not sure why the court is sending you to me. I don't specialize in this issue. I don't want to touch it. And that is how a lot of the uh, medical professionals are reacting to this. They're scared to touch it because they know there are consequences for engaging on this issue. And so much political correctness that can threaten their careers. Um, and so she's been bounced around, been on wait lists and, and so forth in an attempt to check these boxes to be able to see her daughter again. And um, really it, 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 it appears that nobody, <laughs> nobody really knows what they're doing, what they're asking of her. They're, they all, all are just doing this to pat themselves on the backs and tell them, we're doing the right thing because this is what we need to do to protect this child, to save this child because of what you mentioned earlier, this false disproven idea that if you do not quote unquote, affirm a child's gender identity, then that child will commit suicide. That is not true. We've seen multiple studies debunking that. And if you look at what's happening uh, in countries such as Finland and Sweden and the UK, they're actually backtracking on this. They're realizing their, their own studies uh, into this gender affirmation model have shown they're actually causing more harm than good in children. They're walking them backwards. 
And yet every institution in the United States is moving full steam ahead uh, and patting themselves on the backs, on their backs, telling themselves they are doing right by this child in physically separating this child from the, the child's parents uh, whom they love. It's, it's devastating. It's so backwards. But this is actually happening. And that's important for people to understand the stories that we featured in this series paint a broad picture. You know, we tell you about some of the most extreme cases. And then we tell you about the very common cases uh, of uh, gender transitions happening in schools behind parents' backs, which sadly are happening all across this country. So in the case of Jeanette, I will say it's, it's pretty extreme, but it's um, really <laughs> important to understand this is real and it could happen to anybody. Um, you know, this is, I guess, broadly speaking, a warning against divorce. Um, because if you and your, your partner disagree uh, ideologically on this issue, you are at risk of losing custody. Jeanette is not alone in losing custody of her child. There are multiple cases like this around the country. Yeah, let's let's talk about the multiple institutions involved here, right? So what we have in Jeanette's story and in many of the stories um, in this identity crisis series is the collision between what is what is sort of the intimate, the private problems, either of a family or mm -hmm. of a child, right? Um, one of the the children uh, that that you um, whose mom you interview, her her child has mild autism, for example. Um, and then in, in many of the other cases, uh, especially the cases of the detransitioners, you hear about what they were going through. Either they, they had some kind of trauma in their, their history, real trauma, not, you know, the way that we talk about trauma in, in the political discourse. Um, or they were just going through the, the sort of confusing, um, angsty time of, of adolescence where they were trying to find out who they were and what their place was in the world. Right. Um, and so it's it's the interaction of those sort of private dramas in that go on in everybody's lives and these institutions that are supposed to be there to be supportive of of parents loving parents trying to get their kids through this or in the case mm -hmm. of medical institutions or or therapists supposed to be you know um trying to help these these kids uh, their families with the goal of, of restoring them and making them psychologically healthy human beings and you know schools again same same thing right um and and what we're seeing time and time again is that the institutions are taking kids in in a very vulnerable position or families in a very vulnerable position your warning against divorce is well taken right um but sometimes that's how families find themselves right that that's the position they find themselves they find themselves vulnerable for example to family courts um or and, and any family can find themselves vulnerable to the the schools therapists you know medical institutions that people for so long have relied on to actually you know be honest brokers not to be ideological um, to, to actually be there to provide medical advice and help, how 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 is it that parents? Um, I guess what I want to ask you is is um, what has happened to these parents when they have trusted these institutions, and what does that say? <clears throat> Excuse me, what does that say about um, our, our institutional trust society? And 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 two, like whether we should have in, uh, tr any kind of institutional trust. I mean, I don't really want to live in a world where parents can't trust their pediatricians, but that seems like the direction that we're headed with all of this. The main theme of this series is betrayal. 
And I didn't know that going into this. I didn't know what to expect going into producing this series. But what I found is every parent and every child who got manipulated into mutilating their bodies under the false pretense that it would solve all their problems and make them feel better and whole again was betrayed by all these different institutions that exist and were built to protect children. Instead, they are taking advantage of children and inflicting irreversible harms on children. Let's start with, I I do want to get to schools, but let's start with the medical professionals. Uh, This is a really difficult institution to engage with because first off, you know, as just a uh, storyteller, as journalists, even you as a policy expert in a lot of these areas, they'll easily brush you off and say, well, you're not a doctor, you're not a therapist, you have no right to be involved in this discussion. But what all of these parents are uh, experiencing, and what even these detransitioners have experienced is the therapist, the mental health professionals, the doctors are who the parents first turn to for help. They see their child is struggling with serious mental health issues, um, anxiety, depression, eating disorders, autism. Uh, These are very common themes you hear in all of these videos. And instead of counselors and therapists and doctors working with children to address these underlying conditions, to find out what is causing them to reject their bodies, to reject their biological sex, these medical professionals are telling children, well, yes, if you take these drugs and people start calling you a different name and you start using different pronouns, all these issues will go away. And of course that's not true. And what other area of medicine is, is, is that true, where you can just affirm a lie to cure what are actual medical, diagnosable medical issues that are plaguing these children and young adults. And so that is why it is, um, it is, it is so wrong and horrifying what's happening to these children and to these parents that when they think they can turn to these institutions for help, to these medical professionals for help, they're turning around and then most of these cases actually making the situations worse. In the most vid- recent video we published on Kat Cadison, who um, is a detransitioner, she from a young age felt like a boy. Her parents did not let her medically transition as a child. She went on to do it herself as an adult. All it took was a 30 minute phone call with Planned Parenthood to get prescribed testosterone. She was a semi, semi-professional singer, expressed concerns about losing her voice. She was told this would be a low dose. Her voice would be okay. Um, of course it wasn't. She later found out it was a much higher dose than many other quote-unquote transitioners were going on. And from there, when she wanted to surgically remove her breasts, again, all it took was another 30-minute phone call with a different doctor from Planned Parenthood to get a recommendation letter for her to remove her breasts, irreversible surgery. In what world is this normal? 
And yet this is what these medical professionals are telling children and young adults, that if you mutilate your body, your mind will be cured. And the most devastating aspect of all this is that all along, the actual mental illnesses, the actual emotional issues that these children and young adults are genuinely struggling with go unaddressed and in many cases actually get worse. Yeah, it's it seems like an insertion into again into the the private sphere. I've been thinking about this distinction between sort of the public and private sphere and, and in some level of course the feminist activists and so on who said that the the private is political or the personal is political of, of course they're they're in some sense correct, right? In 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 the sense that a culture is built out of um you know what what private decisions society um endorses which it discourages uh, up to the point of actually punishing um there's some level this this is true but it does seem to be a feature of a free society that there there is this private sphere uh, particularly in the family that cannot be penetrated by any any um sort of organ of the state or even of of society right that there is this firewall around the family that we only breach uh in very very severe and specific circumstances and and those those narrow circumstances have been you know basically severe abuse right um if, if you are starving your children if you're chaining them to a radiator right um then then the state does breach this firewall around the family um i mean what do you think about the ideological shift here not just over biological sex and gender identity but I mean, it seems to me that we're breaching something even scarier here, which is that that firewall between the family and the state is coming down in name of this ideology. Because in many cases, these are parents who have had to fight, um, some of them successfully and some of them unfortunately unsuccessfully, have had to fight the state or their school or their medical professionals to have the kind of um, power in, in their own family that is is seems to be necessary for parenting at all. Yeah, I think the overarching cause of that is political correctness and a culture of fear. The medical community has been captured by this ideology. And I wish I could be on this podcast with a solution. I have talked to medical experts and I I don't see an easy answer to uncapturing all these medical professionals who are going along with the lie that if you affirm a child's identity, that child would be better. I think the greatest hope is, you know, again, what we're seeing over in Europe with countries reversing. Uh, but we live in a society and, you know, as you know me well, and you, we go back and forth on this where, you know, I, I would say I'm dis- despite being someone who is willing to engage in debate publicly, you know, I'm, I'm not someone who wants to hurt people's feelings. Um, you know, I, I want to be nice. <laughs> and I think um, for so many people, they think they're being nice by going along with gender ideology. And, you know, this greater idea of political correctness and, and being nice and the culture of fear of not being nice and the consequences you might face is what's 
driven so many people to sit idly by as children are being manipulated and mutilated. And I have sadly come to the conclusion that perhaps the only way to snap a great portion of society out of this is to get graphic and actually show the physical harms that are being done to children. Because uh, I have to think, you know, having looked at some of these images where children are cutting off healthy body parts, I mean, don't even want to get into the quote unquote sex reassignment surgeries where they're creating fake body parts, removing real body parts that are <laughs> essential to functioning as a human being to create fake body parts. Uh, I, do, I think if, if parents see those Im images, nobody would want their child to experience that. Um, and perhaps getting graphic is the only way to break through the political correctness and make society realize this is not compassionate. This is not nice. Nobody would want, nobody would wish that image on any healthy child. Um, and, but, you know, right now it feels like we're up against so much because all these institutions are working against parents and are working against children and confused young adults who, you know, are being told the lie that they're going to feel better if they change their identity. And that's also why we named this series Identity Crisis. Uh, I, I actually like thought of that name pretty quickly. And at first I didn't think too deeply into it because I was like, this, this is all this is. This is just normal teenagers going through an identity crisis. I mean, who didn't go through an identity crisis and want to be somebody else uh, while they were growing up? I mean, your adolescence is a very difficult and awkward time uh, of finding yourself, of figuring out your true identity. And instead of giving children space to explore and try on different identities, we have all these different institutions telling, telling them no, this is your identity and you need to change your body in order to fix it. It's so backwards and wrong. Yeah, it, it obviously, if we applied this uh, to any, any other wishes of, of uh, children, um, it, it becomes immediately ridiculous. Um, although I would have thought that this would be immediately ridiculous. So maybe I don't share, I'm not sure I share the optimism of the, um, the graphicness is, first of all, the plastic surgery will improve over time, right? Um, the more of these the doctors do, the the better the sort of superficial results will be, uh, but they don't well, change. Well, the puberty the blockers are a challenge because what the puber puberty blockers do is prevent the child from going through puberty, which actually enables the child to look much more like the opposite sex, you know, and then they go on the hormones. But, you know, what a lot of these parents and children don't realize is these are having lifelong consequences, medical consequences. These uh, puberty blockers are sewing them into the industrial medical complex. They're going to have doctor's appointments for a lifetime to come. Uh, they, there's a very high chance they are going to be sterilized. And I know this is difficult to talk about, but um, we've also learned there's a very high chance that uh, if you take these medications for pro prolonged periods of times, um, these children and young adults will never be able to experience an orgasm. Um, and why we would ever want to strip a child of that ability, um, you know, in any other context, we call we refer to it as FGM. <laughs> uh, but in this case, 
uh, we're being told this is the compassionate thing to do. Yeah. And then just to be clear about some of these things that the puberty blockers are also making the actual quote unquote sex transition or whatever. Now they have a, a new term for it, but they're making the surgery itself more difficult because these children's genitals never develop. Um, into an adult's genitals they just don't have as you say they don't have the sexual response of an adult and they don't have the number the amount of tissue to actually form to the extent even they can cobble together this frankenstein version of the genitals of the opposite sex Um, they don't have enough tissue with which to do it which causes its own problems um but yeah i mean i i I think getting graphic about this is is really important and but there's also this underlying truth right that even if the surgery was much better than it is, and perhaps in 10 or 15 years it may be, um, you, you can't change your sex. Uh, you can only have a facsimile of the opposite sex. And as you say, it's being sold to people as a, as a solution for what are our real identity crises, I guess, um, t- to use your term. But I wanted to point to one more institution here that is engaging in this betrayal um, one outside of of this system or sort of in an indirect way but but something that you as a filmmaker have now experienced directly and and that is the censorship from big tech so um, you know you just said that you think one of the only ways to punch through this issue is to talk about it in a very direct and sometimes graphic way um, you you haven't actually shown a lot of the graphics in your films yet. I think you, you are intending to going forward, um, but already you have experienced censorship from big tech of, of these um, videos that you're putting out on the basis of, of ideology or quote unquote misinformation. Can you, can you say a little bit about uh, how the various companies are throttling your, your videos um, and how they're making them more difficult to access the information and the stories that you you're trying to tell? Absolutely. Most of the censorship and suppression that IWF uh, has experienced with this Identity Crisis series has come from Google and YouTube. Um, Essentially, they're not letting us advertise our videos, promote them to a wide audience um, for ridiculous claims such as um, uh, sensitive content, health health reasons, um, discrimination, and, and so forth. Um, if you look at, if you just Google child transitions on YouTube, you will get dozens, probably hundreds of thousands of videos featuring puff pieces of children who, um, you know, quote unquote transitioned. Um, and, you know, the, the overall tone of these, these, pieces is applauding them it's very triumphant it is celebrating these these children's new identities um those videos have millions of views uh we know hollywood loves to feature these types of stories we know it's appearing in disney content um even uh, i have to call it out even fox news ran a very uh flattering segment on a family who decided to uh, quote unquote, affirm their young child's identity. And the second, you know, an alternative narrative exists, the second these videos published, um, these big tech companies tell us, no, this content is harmful, this content is damaging, and we are not going to let you promote it. We are not going to let it reach a broad audience. Um, the good news is the videos 
still exist on YouTube. So, um, you know, people can still watch them. Uh, but I know people who aren't involved with this, like don't, don't know, but you know, most successful videos on YouTube will have ads, um, promoting that video to people who might be interested. And so removing that ability to do that is really tilting the scale of this conversation. It is warping the public debate over gender ideology. It is censoring one side of the conversation, a side that is essential to anyone who is engaging on this issue to understand. Because look, you can watch our video series and disagree with the conclusions that these parents have drawn uh, after watching their young daughters fall prey to this ideology. You can disagree with the conclusion that detransitioners have drawn after um, permanently uh, mutilating and manipulating their bodies. But you do not have a right to say these stories should not exist, that these individuals don't have a right to share their stories and be a part of this conversation. I mean, what honest person wants to engage on this issue without acknowledging an entire side of the conversation, the medical harms that are being done by this ideology. And so, you know, I would argue that big tech is worse than complicit uh, in the harms of gender ideology. It is taking an active role by suppressing an entire side of this entire conversation. Uh, we see this in, um, you know, not, not, I'm not the only one experiencing this with the videos that I produce. We've seen this all over Twitter, you know, Matt, Matt Walsh, <laughs> the second they kind of expose these supposed gender clinics at major children's hospitals who decided to put out their own content promoting these types of surgeries and medical treatments for children. Uh, all, all, you know, Matt Walsh and Bill WordPress, other years are doing is posting their own content and yet they're getting slapped with these labels. They're getting their Twitter accounts uh, suspended or removed. And again, this is all an attempt to censor the conversation, to warp the conversation so that only one approved perspective is heard. Yeah, and obviously we're seeing this with all kinds of, of topics, um, but this this one is a particularly disturbing one, right? For First of all, because it's happening to children. Um, and second of all, because it is so fundamental, uh, you know, going back even, you know, 10, 15 years, you couldn't find a truth more fundamental or, or universally acknowledged, to borrow from Jane Austen, right? Um, that... Uh, then the reality of biological sex. Now um, we've had our, our disagreements about how we got to a point where, um, where we could, could uh, you know, continue to the, to not acknowledging biological sex differences. But um, you know, 10, 15 years ago, I feel like everybody would have said, yes, boys have a penis and girls have a vagina. <laughs> right? Like that was not a, a controversial or political statement, but it, it really, um, it, it is one of those prime examples where ultimately um you know, when, when there is a regime, and I mean that in the classical sense, um, when there is a regime, there, there has to be some kind of um, enshrinement of a certain set of truths at, at the heart of it. Um, and once, once you pretend that, that those things don't exist, they sort of reassert themselves, right? Um, that, that a society has to have some of these, um, 
sort of unquestioned statements, um, axiomatic level statements, and that once those those start to fall out, um, they're replaced. Whether you know there, there is no t- true neutrality, I guess is what I'm saying that that there have to be we have to make some positive normative statements like there are differences between men and women. It's good that there are differences between men and women. Um, that there's a difference between children and adults. That families should be able to have a, uh, the, the most important say over what happens to their children. Um, that governance is not made up of experts alone, right? That, that there's an element of, of judgment and morality um, in the decisions that we make as a society and that quote unquote experts have no more claim to a voice in that, you know, that judgment than, um, than, than a citizen or a mom, right? Uh, so the, the, I do think that this, this issue does bring up some of these more fundamental questions um, of, of governance and, and what, what truths we want to place at the heart of, of who we are as a society. Um, but as a documentarian, do you have, um, you know, a couple moments, one or two uh, that really took you aback because you went into this um, knowing something about gender ideology, knowing that it was causing a lot of harm um, and wanting to, to interview people to expose that harm but um, were there a couple moments where uh, y- you were really surprised by either the level of this or, or um, how institutions have treated these parents and these detransitioners? I mean, um, and then on the flip side, how has the reception been outside of, of Google, right? Um, how, how has the reception to your videos um, been taken? And um, have, you, have you gotten, you know, feedback from the people who are the thousands and thousands of people who have watched these videos? Yeah, I first off want to say if there's any chance that anyone from big tech is listening to this right now, I I would really love to hear the justification for censoring and suppressing people's stories. Because essentially, that is all that I did here. I released videos featuring different stories, taking the reporter out of it, just allowing parents and G-transitioners to tell their stories. And if big tech is saying in today's society that is unacceptable, individuals no longer have the right and the ability to tell their stories. I mean, of course, that go that raises major free speech issues, but you know that that just goes to show how threatened um, the institutions behind this decision to su- suppress these stories are. Of course, big tech is being pressured to do this by the well-funded transgender movement, uh, by the supposed medical experts uh, who are pushing this ideology on children. Apologize if you hear my dog barking in the background. Um, (laughs) But, um, you know, I, I do think big tech needs to think, you know, long and hard about their decision to remove a piece of this, conversation, simply individual stories um, from this debate, I, I, I think it's sort of a new level of, of censorship where they're saying your, your personal story is harmful to the public, so we're not going to let everybody hear it. Um, and, you know, regards to me personally, this has been um, certainly a, a difficult project to work on. I've, I've been a I guess, storyteller producer for probably 10 years of my career. I've told a lot of um, emotionally captivating stories over the years. Um, These 
these have been probably the most difficult I've ever told. I have spent hours on the phone uh, with these parents, with Jeanette Cooper, um, you know, listening, like asking her questions. Like there's, there's no way a family court actually hasn't let you see your daughter in three years. There's no way you live 10 minutes down the street, but can't walk over and see her. You know where she goes to school, but you're not allowed to go there. Um, and right over there, I actually uh, hear my da daughter right outside my door and I'm on the phone with these parents <laughs> listening to my barking dog and um, looking at my now three-year-old daughter just in fear. Like, could you ever be this manipulated by adults who are lying to you, claiming they're doing this to protect you, but actually inflicting lifelong harms on you? Um, I started this project right after I returned from maternity leave um, with, with my second with my uh, second child, my son. And I'll be honest, like I experienced the range of emotions that any young mother experiences in returning back to work wondering, is this what I want to do? Or do I belong at home with them? And um, this project certainly has given me meaning and purpose, reminding me why I'm here. Um, these stories need to be told. I'm so grateful to be able to tell them, to be honest. I'm, I was a little shocked that they hadn't been told yet. Um, and, you know, I, <laughs> they've certainly changed my perspective. I'll say they've hardened my perspective on this issue. Um, I, I used to probably be a little wishy-washy on the pronoun game. And now I very firmly believe that if you start playing the pronoun game at young ages, even kindergarten and preschool, as um, some institutions are, are doing now, you are putting that child on a direct path to lifelong doctor's appointments, uh, to irreversible, uh, irreversible, I don't but uh, irreversible substances that will inflict harm on their bodies and surgeries that no child, no parent would want their child to undergo. Uh, so yeah, I, I'd say because I've been, uh, I've been hardened by, I've been both softened and hardened by these stories. Um, I just have so much compassion for the bravery of these parents who have decided to speak out and put a face to this issue because I think prior to them speaking out, it was so easy to say, well, that's not really happening. That's just conservative fear mongering. Well, you can't deny it anymore. Their faces are out here and they're, telling their stories. And, and what has been the reception to their stories? Um, as you know, like I said, besides Google, um, trying to make it so that they're very difficult to be found, um, to, to the thousands of people who have watched these videos, um, that you've, you've so compassionately and beautifully put together to tell their stories. Um, you know, have you heard from from listeners? Have you heard uh, from? I know that you're you're planning actually uh, to do a, a bit of a film tour and actually screen uh, these these videos uh, in cities around the country. You know, what is the? I guess what is the reception that you have gotten, and and what's the reception you hope to get uh, with with the further, I would say, uh, pre digital publicis publicization of these videos, going ahead and and doing an old fashioned uh, screening in in uh, flesh and blood around around the country. Yeah, I'm pleased to say uh, the reception from I guess the audience at large has been a lot different from the reception we received by big tech, which is to block and censor our stories. 
uh, overwhelming, overwhelmingly, these parents have received an outpouring of support. And what's especially amazing to see is the way these parents have been able to take the platform we've given them, we've kind of started them off on, and then make it their own. A lot of them are choosing to engage further on this issue to educate the public, to use their personal stories to help other parents and young girls understand what is happening, what is really happening behind closed doors in schools. You know, we didn't even get that deep into that, but you know, a lot of these, um, a lot of public schools are socially transitioning children behind parents' backs, uh, actually lying to them. Um, you know, in the case of a mother from Alaska who we interviewed, the school was communicating with that mother uh, using her daughter's uh, real name and female pronouns. But the second her daughter walked through those doors at school, uh, educators were treating her daughter as a boy. And to cut the parents out from a decision as consequential as that is, you know, to fathom as a parent. And it's easy to write off as somebody who has not experienced it to to say, well, that would never happen to me. That must be just a really liberal, woke school out in Seattle. Um, but this isn't just happening in, uh, in, in very liberal areas. This is happening in schools across the country. And without these stories, I think the public uh, you know, do doesn't want to believe how far down this path we've gone. And so, yeah, despite big tech not letting us advertise the stories, they've still been incredibly successful. I'm very grateful to, uh, you know, all the conservative outlets have given them a platform uh, and a voice, have helped us get their stories out there. Um, you know, mainstream news, I can't say um, so much the same. Uh, but I, I do hope the tide is shifting, and that is part of the reason we are um, we are planning in-person screenings because um, I do think it's important for people to have face-to-face -face interactions with some of these individuals, the detransitioners, the mothers who are speaking out, and uh, what these screenings uh, will enable you to do is watch a couple of the videos and then, you know, ask questions directly of the parents. Um, I think people have a lot of questions when it comes to this topic. And that's okay. We want conversations. We want questions. We want debate. Um, and since, you know, big tech is making that a little more difficult to do online, um, we're going old school, taking it in person, having movie theater screenings, providing some popcorn. Um, but, you know, getting ready to sit down for you know, a real and, and probably emotional conversation afterwards uh, with some of these mothers and detransitioners. The first in-person screening will be in Chicago on November 5th. I believe we'll have a website live probably today promoting that where you can get tickets and join us. And, you know, hopefully from there, we'll bring these to different cities across the country Um just to educate and, and put a face to this issue. I, I hope that we can perhaps have a more productive conversation if we are in person engaging on this issue. 
Yeah, well, um, thank you, Kelsey, for for coming on High Noon, and thank you for this this series. I really highly recommend it. You can find it under Identity Crisis um, at the IWF website, iwf.org. You can find all of Kelsey's videos. Um, they are up on YouTube still, even though they're being throttled and and um, not allowed to be advertised, but they do exist up on YouTube, so you can see all of them there. Um, Kelsey is working on continuing this series um, with with more stories. Uh, Kelsey, you've really done such a remarkable job. Um, if you don't, I'm familiar with Kelsey's previous work that she alluded to. She's often done these kinds of really wonderful um, personal stories, telling people's stories. Um, but I think this one, this series is really your finest work yet um, and and your bravest work yet in terms of what you've waded into. I know, um, as you said, Kelsey, Kelsey is way nicer than I am. She's just a just a peach of, of, a, of a, a lovely lady. Um, but she has has showed remarkable courage in wading into this um, and, and being brave enough to be, be called not nice. And, and that's the, the peak of the uh, the tiniest, tiniest bit of yeah. Um, I'm, I'll say I'm very nice when I tell people that they're manipulating and mutilating children. I'd say it very nicely. <laughs> <laughs> Always with a smile on my face. You know what you're actually doing to children, right? <laughs> um, but but really, congratulations on this series. Um, I can't wait to to watch the the rest of of the stories that you're going to tell. Um, and really do check out those those identity crisis videos over at IWF. Kelsey Bolar, thank you so much for, for coming on High Noon. Thank you. And thank you to our listeners. High Noon with Inez Stepman is a production of the Independent Women's Forum. There are other productions, um, podcast productions of the Independent Women's Forum, uh, including the podcast She Thinks um, that is run by Beverly Hallberg, our colleague, uh, and At the Bar, which is a intersection, is a podcast about the intersection of law, politics, and culture that is put together by me and my colleague Jennifer Braceris over at the Independent Women's Law Center. That's where we'll talk about some of these issues like Title IX. Um, but as always, you can send comments and questions about any of those things to inez.stepman at iwf.org. Please help us out by hitting the subscribe button and leaving us a comment or review on Apple Podcasts, Acast, Google Play, YouTube, or iwf.org. Be brave, and we'll see you next time on High Noon.